Welcome to Techpreneur Radio. My name is Eddie Brella, and today I have the pleasure of interviewing Jason Briggs. Jason, nice to have you here today. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. So, Jason, um, can you give us a quick background of like where you studied, what did you study, what kind of things you've been working on, things of that nature? Yeah, sure. So, I graduated in Williams from Williams in 2014, and I majored in uh, computer science and military history. Um, and since then, so when I when I graduated in 2014, I started a company called uh, Rastec Software, and our product is called Meta. And uh, we were building this really cool Google for your files application that would search all of the crazy places people have their files all over your desktop, Google Drive, Dropbox, Trello, Evernote, all the places you could think of. Um, and it was pretty successful. We launched it to a bunch of beta users. It actually worked. Problem is it was hard to monetize. So we ended up merging with another company called Diffio that had a much more enterprise focused approach. And that was great. We worked with them and I guess eight months ago or so last November, we were acquired by Salesforce. Quite a journey. Awesome. Can you tell us a little bit more about the background story of Meta? Kind of how you came up with the idea of what was the, the pain point? How did you figure out that this was the best solution or if it was a, an accurate solution to the problem that you were facing? Yeah, sure. So um, the summer before my senior year, I was hanging out with my family and my mom was about to go back to work and she was really struggling to find all her stuff. She had um, over 300 files on her desktop and was kind of super overwhelmed. And I said, hey, there's got to be a better way. And so I just opened up Xcode and started building an app that was like a desktop cleanup application to help her clean up all of her files and be able to keep them organized. And it was pretty cool. It had like a big file preview on the right-hand side and your top destinations over on the left. Um, and as you cleaned it, it was a little bit transparent. So you could see everything cleaning up in the background, which is pretty cool. Um, and uh, nice effect and it, it worked out. Um, and then I took that Xcode app and I took it to the Williams business plan competition that was happening that year with some of my classmates. Uh, Emily Pavlini was a co-founder of that company. And um, yeah, it, it, we, things seemed to be going pretty well. We were, uh, we didn't win the competition. We were the third, we were the alternate team. So we, which meant we would get money if one of the other teams dropped out. <laughs> um, first and second place got money, but then what we did instead was we were able to raise money from some uh, local local people in Williamstown and Williams alumni uh, that were supportive of our project, which was super awesome. So we raised 25K from them um, and went down to Florida to our first potential customer, uh, tried a bunch of cool stuff out. And uh, even though we didn't close the customer as a paying customer, they were really interested and we were able to take that experience and use that to raise about 500K, which then turned into um, Meta. And we expanded the vision from desktop cleanup to being able to find whatever you had anywhere without needing to clean things up. We would just make the best search application there ever was. Right. And it seems like in the beginning, you know, you didn't really know exactly what it would become or 
how the steps work. Can you talk a little bit about navigating um, the potential problems, the failures, how you kind of kept going throughout, even though not winning the competition, trying to find alternative routes for funding, um, because a lot of people get really discouraged when they when they run into failure the first couple of times, and I want to know how you kind of manage that. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I guess I was lucky in a lot of ways to have a really supportive group around me from from Williams. Um, so uh, they were always like very enthusiastic and supportive of continuing. But um, at every at every turn. Um, like there was a new opportunity that came out of one of the defeats. So, I mean, it wasn't really that big of a failure. We were lucky because right after the competition, uh, one of the alumni came up to us and said, Hey, I love this idea. I'd love to try this out at my company. Um, and he really gave us, he's sort of the spark of everything that came after because without that, we probably would not have continued. Um, but he, you know, took the step to support what we were doing and, and said he would match any any funding that we were able to raise uh, up to 12 and a half K. And that was really the push that we needed. That was the, showed the traction that made us think, wow, this is actually, we might have something here. Um, we should really pursue this. And I honestly think it was better, better than the path that we took was better than winning the competition because right it forced us to actually go and talk to investors and, and uh, really like validate the idea much more than we would have otherwise. Um, so that was, that was a really helpful process to go through. And um, another question I wanted to, since this, this, uh, this podcast is kind of geared towards people that are in technology and entrepreneurship. Um, can you go a little bit more into how, you evolved like Meta, so Meta was something to clean up the files for for um, your mother's computer system and or on her desktop. But Diffio became something completely kind of different in a larger scale, not completely different, but it definitely transformed to something more larger scale. And now, um, can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, uh, I mean Diffio was a totally different company that we right. emerged with, um, so that that's why they why. The vision of Diffio is very different from what Meta was doing, but um, I think I think it's a natural evolution. You're just trying to make sure you're following what customers want and what you think has the most ability to generate traction. There's a lot of companies that are founders. They start and they think, "Oh, let me just build um, build something I think is cool," and they don't really take too much outside feedback, and they just mm-hmm. keep building that thing, and that's really dangerous mode to operate in because then you're not you're, you're not progressing at all and you're not iterating towards something that people will find useful um, but yeah I mean I think it's just a process of reacting to the environment you're in and trying to make something at the end of the day that a customer will buy that's like the that's the ultimate goal so when it came to your first round of customers how, how did you pitch this product to them because sometimes you know some founders are building something that the consumer doesn't even know what they want yet. Um, and it's kind of hard to try to pitch that product that's like, oh, it seems like, you know, I don't really need this. But once they actually start using it, they're like, wow, I can't really be without this. And so how was, how was your experience for, uh, for, for pitching it to your first potential customers? Yeah, I, mean, I think it's very difficult to succeed with something that 
people don't think they need. Um, I mean, the only way that that would work is if they just didn't understand before. Right. Um, and then your job is to make sure that they understand. So like we came up with like really, I think pretty compelling taglines like Google for your files. And, and um, we said, you know, save four hours a week because that's like the main statistic of how much time people work or lose every week looking for their files. So we, we came up with ways to make it compelling and it was a really easy product to try to try out and trial. Um, so, I mean, like trying to make it as low friction as possible for someone to actually try it and benefit it from, them, from it themselves is super important. But from a, I mean, I would caution people against going into consumer software like that because even if you build the coolest thing in the world, um, getting people to pay for it, it's very difficult. It's a totally right. different different uh, approach to take. And um, that's why it's often a lot easier with enterprise technology because companies are used to buying things and they buy things if it solves their problems. Right. Um, but individuals aren't used to buying things even if it solves their problem because they can usually get it for free. So right. yeah, it's a pretty obvious point, but um, that's something we ran into because we, we, we kind of believed in the mythology of if you just build an awesome product and deploy it, um, that's all you got to worry about. And that's definitely not the case. Right. And, and now like trying to step back and, and abstract everything, like when you were like, what's the, what are the changes that you've kind of noticed from startup to slightly larger startup and then to an enterprise company like Salesforce, which is, is still known as one of the most innovative companies in the world. But um, I can imagine there's a lot of different things. And now you lead product there instead of like doing engineering when you started building Meta. Um, what, are, what are some of the changes that you've noticed in, in moving to a more corporate setting? Um, yeah, I mean, one thing is the, is the timeframes are just a lot different um, early on. You know, we could iterate and deploy something in like, overnight, basically. Um, and you obviously can't do that at a large company because there's so many more uh, quality control steps and um, just that, that stand in the way for good reason. makes a lot of sense, right? You, don't, you can't just make a quick feature change to Salesforce overnight. That would be pretty dangerous. Mm -hmm. um, but so the, so the one is that the time frames of deployment and that's good because at an early stage you can really mess around and change things and optimize things and iterate quickly, uh, which is super important before you've found a key product market fit. But obviously, I mean, Salesforce has extremely strong product market fit identified and they've filled that need. So um, they can, they can take it a little bit slower. Um, otherwise, uh, I think that, Obviously, from a like management leadership perspective, it's a lot different. So, in in, in the meta role, um, you know, I was I was CEO, so I could just pretty much do whatever I want if I saw an opportunity. And now there's many more levels that I need to go through in order to make decisions, which again is a good thing because um, there's people that are much more experienced. And once you've hit product market fit, you want you want those experienced people taking taking the reins, um, right. which, which is nice because I can iterate small, do small iterations on our, in our product world. But um, 
uh, in our like little product small kingdom and then um, that can bubble its way up after we've gotten the correct approvals. I don't know. I think it's, it's just, it's different, but, um, but it, it makes sense why it's different. I think that that's pretty standard. Um, Do you feel like you still have a lot of chances to like be creative and pursue ideas or is that kind of like thwarted? No, no, for sure. Um, it just the, there's, I guess I would say, have the same level of creativity. You just have to make sure that um, like there's just more people making sure that the ideas are actually, actually good and you don't mm -hmm. just think that they're good. So yeah, it's, it's more, more checks and balances uh, because there's much more at stake. Right. And but there's you, also a lot of like a lot of ability to iterate and come up with cool and creative ideas in, in like you know, mock-ups and in, in product discussions. And then those get narrowed down. Right. And, you know, you come from a liberal arts college background. Do you think that that kind of uh, prepared you to try to face, you know, like selling an, a product is very different from building a product, right? And trying to um, pitch an idea to somebody it is much more complex um, than actually building the product itself sometimes. Um, do you feel like your, your educational background and liberal arts uh, in general helped you out for that kind of, for that kind of like a uh, situation or shift really? Um, yeah, I think so. Um, I personally have just been very adaptable my whole life. Um, that's sort of, I, I was lucky. I grew up all over the, all over the world and did a whole bunch of, like, I went to a bunch of different schools. And so I learned to be adaptable to new environments and things like that. I think that was the trait that helped me most throughout my, my journey because I was able to, um, just come into a totally new situation and adapt to it really quickly and succeed in that environment. Um, also just being able to, um, just have conversations with people and, uh, productive conversations with people is a super critical right. skill. Um, and so I think those, those skills were probably honed in the liberal arts college environment, but I, I don't know anything different. So right. <laughs> hard to say that it was because of that. So, yeah, I just mean like comparatively some, some people that, you know, build a, t a technical product are usually like more on the engineering heavy side and they, they struggle a lot with like moving into more managerial roles. They don't like, you know, they, they take on the, the product management role or, and then they're kind of experiencing a difficult transition. Uh, and I just wanted to get your, your kind of feedback on that and how you've gone. So that, that's cool. I think you, I think you have, I mean, I think a lot of it is also like how I think a lot of it's like nature. Right. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of people who were able to, to make that transition that didn't go to liberal arts schools and there are people right. who went to liberal arts schools who can't, but I think the, the general idea of, um, at liberal arts being able to like read and really focus on, um, more like conversational debate type classes in, in my, the history setting, plus uh, being in obviously the computer science technical world uh, at the same time was super beneficial because I could kind of uh, enhance my skills in both arenas at once. But right. yeah. Cool. Jason, thank you very much for your time today. I think this is going to be massively helpful for people that are starting out with a new product or something and they're trying to come up with, oh, how do I, how do I sell this thing? So, um, and you know, you have actually had a lot of success with a product that, you know, you might've thought at the time was 
it was gonna help maybe one or two people or maybe like 10 people but now you see that it's it's actually been a, like merged with another company and then acquired by a multinational uh, corporation that's been claimed to be one of the most innovative in the world so uh, I commend you for that and congratulations on the acquisition and um, thank you so much for your time yeah thanks and I'm, I'm always happy to help um, anyone that's looking to start start their start a similar journey and so you can feel free to reach out to me anytime like through LinkedIn or whatever if you're starting a new new venture and you want want some guidance or help or someone to maybe tell you you shouldn't do it or <laughs> anything like that happy to happy to help um, so I don't know if anyone's listening to this and thinking about starting their own thing feel free to reach out to me alright thank you so much this is Jason Briggs from Salesforce if you enjoyed the podcast please consider liking and following our channel as we post new episodes every Monday and Friday 